And we're going to start a new series today. Who's ready for a new series? I love when we do new series. Now, I'm a little, I'm a little nervous because I'm going to nerd out just a little bit this morning. And I know some of you love when I do that, and I give you some background and some behind-the-scenes pictures of what's going on in the Scripture. So I'm going to do a little bit of that today. For those of you who love that, you came on the right day. For some of you, and you're like, I don't really love the history part of it. How many of you did not like history class in high school? Just to get an idea. How many of you did not like history? You're not in trouble with me. Raise your hand if you didn't like history. It's okay. I didn't love history. All the dates and stuff. You know, I was like, who really needs to know this date? And to this day, if you ask me, like, the years of different wars and stuff, I cannot tell you any of that. If only we had a device that you could just type in a question and find out the answer. There it was. Okay, anyway, I'm going to give you some history behind the scenes. Paul wrote Philippians, and Paul was one of the very first Christians, and he had been so transformed by Jesus and the Spirit of God that he couldn't help but overflow with the love and grace of God and travel the known world at the time to tell other people about what he himself had experienced. And Paul was one of the ones who planted the original churches in, in, in the ancient world. And in Acts, we find the stories of when Paul went on his different missionary journeys to plant these churches. Now, Philippians, Philippi was a city, a very important city, a city in the region of, of Macedonia that was strategic in the, the Roman Empire had moved into the city, taken over the city, and it became a colony of, of the Roman Empire. And because of this, uh, the powers that be in Rome wanted to plant certain people in this city in a, in a way that uh, those who lived in the city who didn't know anything about Rome and the Roman way of life would, would become indoctrinated into that life, uh, so they would become citizens of Rome. Does that make sense? And so Paul, on his second, second missionary journey, if you want to read about it, it's in Acts chapter 16. Fascinating story. Um, and I just want to tell you just a little piece of it that I just find absolutely incredible. Paul writes Philippians from jail, which is important to remember. Paul also spent some time in jail in Philippi. And it's how the church began, really, Paul traveled to this region in this city, this, this Roman colony, Philippi, and when he was there, he gathered with those who would gather to pray, the um, people who would, who would pray to God. He gathered with them, and there happened to be some women who had gathered, and this was a little unique. There was a woman there named Lydia who was a wealthy business leader and an owner of a business of fine purple clothing, Fabrics. We have purple fabrics in the valley. The suns just kicked off their season with a big wind the other night. Did anybody see that? Anyway. We'll get more interested. Anyway, Lydia, who was this very unique, a business owner and very wealthy, a woman who was very wealthy business owner in this day and age, was, was very unique she heard the message that Paul was proclaiming and she gave her life to Christ. Totally transformed her. Then Paul, as he was walking throughout the city, 
came in contact with this young slave girl. Now think about the, how wide this gap is. A wealthy business owner and a slave girl. And Paul begins telling this slave girl and praying for this slave girl. This slave girl eventually gives her life to Jesus, which her owners, masters, did not appreciate very much. So they threw Paul in prison. This is where he was in prison. While in prison, he was a man of such character that the jailer of the city ends up giving his life and the entire family is transformed by the message of Jesus. And this is how the church started. A wealthy business owner, female business owner, woman, a slave girl, a young slave girl, probably a teenager, and a jailer. How different are those three people? And the message of Jesus transcends all the socioeconomic differences they had, and the message of Jesus transcends transcends all the socioeconomic differences we have in the world today to bring us together under the banner of God's grace and love. And that is the good news of Jesus, that no matter where you come from, what you've been up to, what you do, what you have, what you don't have, we're all the same because of God's great love and grace. That's the good news of Jesus. And that's what started the church in Philippi. And that's what has been happening generation after generation after generation. We are here today because Paul was proud of the gospel and was not willing to sit back. He wanted to move this gospel and this kingdom forward. And he writes a letter to this city that he loves, this little church that he loves, and who had started in those humble beginnings. And that's what we find in Scripture today. And I'm only just beginning all right, you can tell, I get a little excited. Here's what Philippians is all about. It's about joy. It's about joy and the idea that the best time to live our best life is not in the future, it is right now. And the reason it's right now is because right now is all you and I have. The past is gone. We can't do anything to change what has happened in our past. And none of us are promised a future, right? All we have is the present moment. And so Paul is writing to this church, and he's trying to help them understand. And I think this is so important for us today because so many of us live with expectation that one day things are going to be better. And the reality is all we have is the present. And no matter what circumstances or situations you find yourself in today, that is the best opportunity for you to live your best life. We can find purpose and contentment. We can even find joy in the midst of the most difficult things that we're ever gonna face in our lives. And how do we do this? We do this with the perspective and the faith that we place in Jesus Christ. That's the message of the good news, is that because of Christ, no matter where you find yourself, you can have joy and you can have contentment in your present circumstances. And so what I want to do in the next little bit and where I want to walk uh, over the next few weeks is through this letter, chapter by chapter, and I think each week's going to present us with some great questions to wrestle with, but on the, on the 30,000 foot view, here it is, if you miss Jesus... You miss everything. 
If I miss Jesus, I miss everything. There is life, there is grace, there is peace, and there is hope. And we find this by leaning more and more and more and more into the person of Jesus Christ because of all that he brings. Um, Mark Batterson, who's an author that I read every now and then, I know some friends in the room love Mark Batterson and his books. He says this, the only way to be fully alive is to be fully present. It's the only way to be fully alive is to be fully present. And the only way to be fully present is to live in daytight compartments. And far too many of us, life feels like the meaningless passage of time between far too few meaningful moments. That's a tongue-tied statement. And he goes on and he says, even when these meaningful moments come, we take selfies instead of being fully present. We're so fixated on the past and we're so anxious about the future that we miss the present and then we wake up and we wonder where life went. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had a birthday and you thought to yourself, how did this happen? How did I get to this number so quickly? And it feels like every year that you add on to your life, the faster it goes. Can I get an amen in the room? Yeah? And so many of us are waiting for that moment when finally we'll get our best life. And what Paul is saying to us and what I want to learn and what I hope we can learn together is our best life is right now because it's our only life. It's the only one we have. It's the only one we're given. So here's how Paul starts. He says, may God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I love the beginning there. And if I write you a note on email, like if I send you an email or a note or you see a note from me, Do you know how I normally end that note? Grace, peace, and love. Why do I do that? Well, you can call me a nerd, a scripture nerd. Some of the reason I do that is because I take it from Paul. I steal it from Paul. But here's why I think it's so important. Um, Pastor Rich Velotis says it this way. Uh, He says, when Paul begins his letters with grace and peace, it's not just religious formality. What, What Paul is trying to do is he's trying to form the people of God. He wants us, when we think about God, he wants us to think about grace and peace. He wants, when when you hear or think about God, he wants your first thoughts to be about grace and peace. That's what Paul is trying to build into us. That's what I want built into me. And so I wonder today, what do you think about when you think about God? Do you think about grace and peace? Do you believe that God has grace and peace for you? today in your current circumstances? Do you believe that? Have you been formed in a way that that when you consider the greatness of God, you think about his, his personal grace and peace that has been made and provided for you through Jesus? That's that's what Paul wants us to understand. And then he goes on and he says, every time I think of you, I give thanks. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you very first. Now, I know I say this a lot. I just don't know that you, you, 
you fully believe me or, or understand what I'm saying. I love this church. I love you. I love this congregation. And when, when I think about McDowell as a church, when I think about us as a community, I can't tell you how much joy I have. I have friends in ministry, and they tell stories about their church. And I'm telling you, when, when, when I get in circles of pastors, and some of you, like when you hear that, you think, how boring must that gathering be? <laughs> like you probably just all talk about nerdy things and like what do you even do and where do you go? And I was in a gathering of pastors earlier this year in Newport Beach, California. How's that? It was awesome. And we had gathered around and we, we tell stories about our churches. And I'm telling you, almost every time I'm in one of those gatherings of pastors, I feel guilty because of how awesome our church is. When I start talking, like they tell stories about things they're going through, and I'm like, I don't, I don't have that. Every time I think of you, McDowell, like I can echo what Paul is saying. I think of you with great joy. I don't think of this church in any way as a burden. Sometimes some of you will call me or you'll stop me and you say, yeah, I know you're so busy and you don't have time. I have time. I'm like, I love you, and I am so thankful for this church, and here's why. Because we're partners in the good news of Jesus, and there is nothing I would rather be doing in this world than being a partner with you in the good news of Jesus. That's what, that's what we're to be about. And this isn't something that I do as a, as a professional pastor while you do your life thing. No, no, you are a priest. I know that sounds weird. The scripture says this. You're a priest in the places you've been, you've been put by God. You have ministry. You are a partner with me in the good news. That's what makes us a church. That's what makes us a community, that we're partners in this ministry that God has given me. So I thank God every time. I, I just can't tell you how much I love you and I'm thankful for you. And when I read this from Paul, I'm like, that's how I feel. That's how I feel about you. And I just want you to know that. I just want you to know how much I love being a part of this church and I love being... Uh, a pastor and, and serving a large, alongside of you. It's why I love days like Serve Day and Serve Week when we get T-shirts and all of that because it's so much fun to do these things together. Then Paul says this, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue that work until it's complete on the day that Christ Jesus is revealed. And some of you need to hear this today that God is the one who began the good work within you and God will not leave you unfinished. Isn't that good to know? That God's not gonna leave you unfinished? Like God, I don't, so I'm someone who every now and then I start projects and then I get really bored with that project so I move on, on to another project. I start something in the house and I'm like, oh, this is gonna be super cool and then I start it and I'm like, this is so boring. I don't wanna do this anymore. I'm gonna do something else. And Robin's like, hey, are you ever going to finish, you know, the thing that you started over here? And I'm like, eh, maybe one day. That's not God. God, when he starts a work in us, he will see it to completion. And that's good news for us, that God's not going to leave us alone. He's not going to leave us on our own. What God begins, he will finish. What God begins in you, he will continue to work on in you until it's complete. He's not going to leave you on the side of the road. He's not going to walk away from the work he's already begun. Now, here's the challenge with that, and the, the, the New Testament fills in the gaps here. 
we've got to participate, we've got to be active participants in the good work that God begins in us. We have a role to play. We have to cooperate with God's Spirit. When God begins a work in us through His Holy Spirit, it requires our participation. We've got to cooperate with the work of God for it to do its work in us. Sometimes we want God to be like a genie in a bottle who we can just say, God, I need this fixed and I need it fixed right now. Some of us, it's like we want to go and have surgery and have something taken care of, and we feel like if I can just have God take care of this, and then I can be done, hands off, easy fix, finished. But we all know that's not how it works. When we go to the doctor and we have surgery done, we have procedures done, we have a role to play in our healing, don't we? We have to take care of the wounds. We have to eat in a certain way in order to strengthen our bodies. We have to participate in that work that the doctor began in us. And this is the same way that the spiritual life happens, the good work that God begins, we have to participate with. We have to cooperate. Now, God begins it. God will complete it. We have to, we have to participate, active participation. Does that make sense? If I went to a... Uh, a strength coach, and, and I said, I, I need to get stronger. I'm weak. And he would look at me and he'd say, you are weak, Matt. You do need to get stronger. And if I said, can you put together a program for me? He said, absolutely, I can put, put together a program. Do you think, he would say, do you think you can do four days a week? Is it possible for you to do four days a week? And I'd say, oh, I don't know, four, that's a lot. How about one day a week? He'd say, I don't know that I can help you that much. Can you give me three days? Okay, I can give you three. We'll figure out. Let's do three days a week. And he would say, okay, I can, I can help you. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put together this program three days a week. I need you to do this three days a week. Is that going to make me stronger? Just for him to put together that program, that's going to make me stronger? That was a trick question. I got most of you. No. I actually have to do the work that he's put on the paper. And if I don't, that work is not going to be made complete in me. Does that make sense? Listen, God began it. God will see it completion. You have to participate with God's spirit or it won't do anything in you. We've got to be active participation, have active participation in the faith. Okay, he continues. I, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. This is such an interesting part of, of the scripture. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. Um, I hope you'll do the journal this week and walk through these passages of scripture. This one I find so interesting. Listen to what he's saying. Like, you need to, like, express love out here. Bring clothes, bring hygiene items, serve after church, after you eat, do all of that. But as you do that... You need to continue to grow in your knowledge, but not just your knowledge. It's possible to fill your head too much. Also, your understanding, your wisdom. So you're loving on, on the externals. You're growing in your knowledge and your understanding. And what that does is it begins to fill you with the fruit of your salvation, which is the righteous character. Character is so important to God. Character, who you are, is so much more important to God than what you do. Now, what you do will, will somehow support your character, but, 
But your character is of primary importance to God. Who you are and who you're becoming is so very important to God. And in that, your perspective on life and your circumstances is of utmost importance. Uh, Say this with me. Perspective matters. Perspective matters. Your perspective matters. Um, This biker found himself in a precarious position. Perspective matters, though, because when when you change your perspective, you realize that this isn't what you think it is. The next slide shows us, he's just lying on the ground. Perspective matters, doesn't it? The way you view your circumstances and your life and the challenges in your life, it matters. Paul goes on and he says, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me has helped to spread the good news. Paul is in prison. He's in a prison, not like our prisons. He's in prison where they don't feed him. He actually is relying on outside people to come and bring him food. That's how it worked in the ancient world. It wasn't three square meals or anything like that. Like They were relying on outside support to even stay alive. Paul was saying, what has happened has helped spread the good news. Everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. Paul was not going to waste any moment and circumstance to tell people about the love of God. Like his perspective was wherever I'm placed, I'm placed for a reason. There's a purpose for me here. And I want you to hear this that no matter where you find yourself, God has a purpose for you in that exact place. God isn't waiting for you to get somewhere else to then do something in you. Like where you are now matters. But the perspective you bring is is so important. I remember when Robin was raising uh, kids alongside me, but she was doing the hard work of it because she had the daily task. And she'll say all the time, she'll say, the years are so short, but the days were so long. Come on, amen? You know, those, those days were so long. And uh, I remember from time to time, and I think she shared this with, with you before, she felt like, oh, when I get through with this season of life, then I'll be able to do some ministry, some things that I want to do in the future. And I think God reminded her time and time again, the ministry of the present moment is so very important because of the future that will come from it. Don't look past the moments you're in today. Like, don't look past the the, the present circumstances. Stephen Furtick, um, he says this, I can't control everything that comes into my life, but I can choose what I magnify. You can't control what's coming into your life and what's around you, but you can choose what you're going to magnify in life, what what you're going to highlight in your life. Your greatest challenges, your greatest pain, your greatest disappointment are often the exact circumstances and places where you'll experience God's greatest power and his purpose if your perspective is right. The greatest challenges that you and I face will sometimes give room for God's greatest power to be made known. It's why Paul could say, it's in my weakness that God is made strong. It's in my weakness. It's in our pain, our disappointments, in some of the greatest challenges. That's, that's where we'll find God's purpose. 
so often if our perspective is right. So Paul's writing this letter, and he's, he's just trying to help them understand it's not about then and there. It's about here and now. Your best life, if you'll lean into Christ, can be right here, right now. And so as he gets to the end of chapter 1, he says, above all, don't miss this. In this little colony, this Roman colony where they're trying to form people into the Roman way and the Roman image, he's saying, above all, don't live as citizens of Rome. Live as citizens of heaven. That's your true home. Like live with the kingdom of God being imprinted on your very soul. What is that? Well, he began the whole letter with it. It's grace and it's peace. That's the kingdom of God. Live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. I love that he ends this first chapter kind of in this stream of thought, that we're citizens of heaven. And, and so what I want to do um, here just for a minute is I want to give you a couple questions for reflection. Now, I know I wanted to do a lot of background and kind of walk through this chapter a little bit slower. Um, I want to give you four little series of questions just to, to frame your mind around. And I think maybe one of these questions is meant for you, all right? So probably not all five of them. I know some of you want the gold star today, and you're like, I'll take all five or four. I'll take four of them, five of them, I'll make my own. Um, but maybe there's just one of these four series of questions that you need uh, over the next few weeks as we read through Philippians together that, that maybe God would need to do in you. And so here, here are the four series of questions. The first one is this. Do I believe God is full of grace and peace for me personally? Do I believe that? And for the people around me? And I would say, why or why not? Like, why do I believe that to be true? Or why don't I believe that to be true? Now, before we pass off that first question, I want to get into your business a little bit. Part of this is a question about where you are with God. Where are you with God? Are you in a place where you have received God's grace and his peace into your very soul? And for some of us, we remember a moment where we made that decision. For others of us, it's a series of moments or a journey that we've been on. But for all of us, there should be like one of those moments of decision where we make clear, I, want, I, I don't want to just hear about God. I don't want to just learn about the Bible. I want to experience God's grace and his peace for me in my life. And so for some of you, over the next four weeks, this needs to be the question that you just, you sit with and you wrestle with. And, and maybe for you, you need to make a decision to receive God's grace and his peace, which is made known through Jesus. If you miss Jesus, you miss everything. Don't, don't miss Jesus. The second uh, line of questions, what work has God begun in your life? What work has, has he begun? What, what is he doing? And are you an active participant in that work? Or are you just like a, a silent bystander hoping God will fix something for you? And, and maybe for you over the next four weeks, there's something that you know that God wants to do in you. Would you be willing 
to open yourself and begin to participate with whatever it is that, that, that God is doing. Um, I have a number of friends who are in or who have walked along the 12-step process with AA. And I think it's one of the most powerful um, things that, that, that we can do because it teaches active participation in our own healing. I think that's what the New Testament talks about. Yes, God forgives us. Yes, salvation is, a, is, is, is something that can happen in a moment, but it's also something that is happening and continues to happen as we participate in it. And if any of you have been in the 12 steps and you've struggled with addiction, if any of you have been uh, walking through overcoming that addiction, you know that you have to be an active participant in your healing. And the same is true. So what, what work maybe does God want to do in you? The third line of question, how might God want to use my current circumstances and relationships? Like in this moment, don't look past this moment because God, just like Paul said, God has used everything. I'm in jail, but there's not one jailer, even like in the household of the, the most, like they all know, the palace guard knows that I'm here because of Jesus. Like, don't look past your, your current moment. And then the fourth line of question, in what ways am I living as a citizen of heaven? And the next one is the harder one. In what ways am I living contrary to my faith in Jesus? And what needs to change? Yeah, that one's, that one's a little bit more difficult to wrestle with. What needs to change in my life? Um, and be specific about that. How, how am I living contrary to my faith and, and, and how might God um, start to work in me so that I might be a citizen of heaven? Does that make sense, those four questions? We're gonna sing a song um, together. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me. And this song, um, the title of it is Heaven's All Around. And the reality is God is all around us. If, if, we're aware, if we become aware of him, if we open ourselves to him, and as we sing this song, feel free to move around the room and respond. There's candles that represent God's presence. Maybe you want to light a candle. Maybe you want to take communion to be reminded of God's great love. The, the bread and the cup. The bread represents Christ's body, which was broken for us. The cup, which represents his blood, which was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So maybe you want to take communion. Father God, in these moments, we just, We've read through this, this first chapter, pieces of this first chapter. I, I just pray your spirit would work on each one of us, that we would uh, lean into one of these questions and that we'd be changed by, by your love, your, your grace, and your peace. God, thank you for not giving up on each one of us. Thank you for con continuing to pursue us in and around all things. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.